So at 9 a.m. I made the beat. Uh, I like literally plugged the aux into my of the Honda into my laptop. 1 p.m. I got the film developed, and at 5 p.m. that day, I had sold my first NFT to a total stranger for um, one ETH. Hey, Daniel, welcome to the pod. What's up? Hey, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited. How's your morning been? It's uh, nighttime here. It's morning in LA. It's good, what dude. What did you have I, breakfast? I, dude, I had, I had a very weird breakfast. I had pasta. I had, uh, I had pasta for breakfast because I had... Bro, listen, listen. Hear me out. Hear me out. <laughs> who, has, who has pasta for breakfast? Listen, bro. Hear me out. I had... I had because you tweeted... You tweeted something about overnight oats, like, I don't know, at what point, like a month or something. I mean, I bro, like, oh, overnight oats. I have for breakfast. But overnight oats are, are goaded. Here's, here's what happened. Here's what happened. I've been traveling a lot. I'm in and out of the house right now. I'm playing a bunch of shows. Like, I'm not really home as much. And, like, went out with my girlfriend yesterday, and I just had leftovers, and I saw two eggs in the fridge. Like, I didn't have a lot to work with, man. So I put the eggs, you know, I fried them, and I threw the pasta, and it's the best I could do. You know, I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds crazy, but I'm, I'm telling you, bro, breakfast pasta's on the come up. So keep your eyes out for breakfast pasta. Oh, you, you LA guys have like the weirdest like Coopers with the acai thingy or like eggs and pasta. I don't even pasta. want it. Cooper, okay. Cooper eats two things. He eats sushi and acai bowls, and I've never seen him eat anything else. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm definitely different, but okay. <laughs> All right. It's really cool to have you on the pod. Um, I think the people who listen to this and are aware of music NFTs will know all about you. And then there's the other part of the audience who, you know, comes from the traditional crypto space who has no idea about music NFTs and they think they're um, useless, like even more useless than the, than the profile picture NFTs. But we'll get into that a bit later. So just for those people, I wanted if you can give like a quick recap of um, who you are and why you're so well known in the music NFT space and basically how you got started with music and your journey up until now. We don't have to go into like a lot of detail, but just let people have a bit of background. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give like the spark notes of the whole backstory. It's probably useful. Um, so, you know, I grew up in a musical household, whatnot. Like my, my, my mom was, uh, my mom had like a PhD in musicology there. My parents are immigrants from the former Soviet Union from Ukraine. Um, so my mom had like a more formal wow. training in music and then my, uh, my dad kind of grew up playing in bands and whatnot. So it was always a big part of my life growing up. And then when I was in second grade, my brother gave me his iPod classic that had like a ton of like rap music on it. it had like Rakim and LL Cool J, Nas and Biggie and Tupac and whatnot. Um, so then I started, you know, in middle school, I started recording all these rappers and, you know, cause I noticed that they were always rapping in the hallways and I was like, oh, I'm, I want to find a place for you guys to record. Cause you, you, I don't, I don't know that you guys do this anywhere. And um, by the time I got to high school, uh, after recording people for a few years, I, I uh, revisited that iPod that my brother gave me, and and it after I learned all of the rap songs, I kind of uh, there were a bunch of electronic songs on there too, like State of Trance, like Armin Van Buren stuff, and like I, I would always like skip over it because I didn't really like it. But then you know in, in that era for me, like electronic music started to kind of become pop music. Like Lady Gaga started coming up, and Britney Spears started coming up, and they had a lot of like electronic forward production. And then like the Dead Mouses of the world started having like kind of a bigger like a bigger pop culture moment. So in this weird way, I got. I kind of delved into electronic music and it became my passion, right? And so like when I was well, when I was 16, I stumbled into Lollapalooza. It was the first music festival I ever went to and I saw mm -hmm. a band called a group called Above and Beyond play. Um and it definitely like I was like, "Oh, I want to I want to do that one day," right? And so from that point on, I was very much like, "Okay, music is is what I want to do." Um but there wasn't really like a practical approach uh in in the US for for how to do it really. Um and so 
um, I ended up going to college. I went to Boston University and I actually played tennis there. Um, I, I kind of like played tennis growing up. It was like a, like a big part of my life, very like tangential to music. Music was always kind of like the hobby and tennis mm -hmm. was kind of like the, the job for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, but the whole time in school, I'm just like, you know, fuck this. Like I want to, I want to go to LA. I want to make music. I, you know, I want to figure out how to do this. And so over the, over those summers in college, like I very much was like, you know, all of my friends were kind of doing internships and kind of starting to work at banks and doing, doing the whole thing. And I, I didn't do any of that. Like I literally went to LA, I lived on people's couches. I made like peanut butter sandwiches, drove across the country in my Honda from Kentucky to California, literally sat on my friend's grandma's couch in San Clemente, two hours away from Los Angeles. I would drive to LA every day for sessions. Like I, I remember I would do wow. like, I would do sessions from 8 a.m. to noon, from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m., from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m., and then I would drive back from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. to San Clemente, and then I would sleep from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m., wake up, go on a run, and then just go back to L.A. Um, and, I, and I did that every day. I did that every day for the whole summer, just like trying to, trying to learn how to be a good producer, really. Um, and fortunately, when I was in Boston, um, Berkeley School of Music was across the street from me. And so when people were, a lot of people were like going out and like doing their whole thing, I would just spend like Friday nights, Saturday nights, like trying to do my first sessions and learning how to like be a songwriter, learning how to be a producer in the room, kind of the same thing that I was doing in the summers uh, in LA. Uh, but anyways, you know, I always had this thing of, I want to be in LA. I want to, I want to, I want to be a musician. I want to be a producer. I want to, I want to, I really want this to be my job. Right. And so I started looking at a lot of my friends and I started looking at people who have done it. Right. And a lot of, there were a lot of similar patterns, you know, like you kind of move out, you're really broke, you maybe sign a shitty publishing deal, but then when you sign a shitty publishing deal is you get into rooms with other producers and you kind of inch your way in one fashion or another towards like a hit record, right? Like you are, you are, uh, you, you either have a viral moment that you capitalize on or you're trying to be like a writer in the room or whatever, just try to like at at attach yourself to this big song, right? And that's how you kind of start to make a living in music, right? And um, for me, I actually found like a little bit of an alternative. So my way of, I moved to Los Angeles January of 2020, and I promise I'm I'm getting back to music NFTs here. But yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I moved to LA January of 2020, and it was very much like from day one, music was my full time job, but it wasn't in like that sexy route of you know having a hit record or signing a major record deal or any of that. I kind of found this weird middle ground where I was mixing and mastering for people. So I was like, I had like a, a few clients here and there that I was doing stuff for, right. And making a little bit of money doing stuff for them. Right. Not, not consistent or anything, but just like, I know how to mix. I know how to master records. Like that's kind of my niche, right. Um, doing like very odd jobs. And then I was signing very short term record deals. So I would sign like three track deals, you know, which would basically be like, I put out a song a month for three months and I would get like a $4,000 advance or something, something along those lines. So I'm like, okay, like it pays my rent for a little bit, nothing outside of that, no discretionary, anything, just like, just enough to like, kind of, you know, be in a pocket where music is my job. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but kind of the, the, the drawback there that I started to notice after doing a few of those deals, right. Was that, uh, the the labels that I was working with and I and I've never been like a fuck records label record labels guy like I think there's a world where they make a lot of sense for a lot of people but for me in 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 that particular moment in time right the labels that I was working with was were very they were like internet labels that were very like focused on one pocket of a specific genre of music right which was like this like electronic pop world okay and and anytime like I said I, I listened to rap music growing up I listened to like trance music like there's a lot of shit I have a lot of like various influences right and anytime that you send something that is outside of that genre uh you it's like a no essentially like oh like we don't want this so my only option would be to release it independently and as like a very small artist releasing something independently unless I have like a miracle 
TikTok moment. Like I'm, I'm yeah, like a, almost yeah. One hit you one get it, right? kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Like there's almost like no point in releasing the music. And so I kind of found myself in this pocket after doing like three or three or four of those deals, like which, you know, took about all of 2020 for me where I was like, man, like music feels like a job to me, which is weird because the whole time that I had been doing it when I was in college and before and before that, sorry, I'm like a little bit sniffling. I'm coming off a cold. Um, when I had been doing it in college and whatnot, like it was, it was always like this passionate thing for me. Like it's something that I like really wanted to do all the time. But like after this year, I was like, okay, like I like this and I'm really grateful that it's my job, but I, this is, this isn't the only kind of music I want to make. Like I want to try doing this kind of stuff. I want to try doing this other, you know, I want to try like bringing rappers on my shit, you know, like I, I just want to try doing all these things that I'm really interested in, but that world just doesn't exist for me. Right. And so, uh, in March of, of 2021, I was, um, I had this idea after about a year of doing that where I was like, oh, I want to I want to throw a show in my friend's backyard. And my my goal is to invite every single person I can in the music industry. Right. Like I wanted to invite A&R, sync agents, managers, agents, literally anyone that I had ever had a previous email interaction with, because I did that in college all the time. I sent five emails a day. I was like just like hoarding this 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 email list. Right. And um, I invited every single person that I could. And ironically, like funnily enough. Um, the whole point in me doing that was to find a major label deal because in my mind, I'm like, okay, like a, I'll get like a yeah. sum of money to go work on an album. And if I'm doing an album, I can really make whatever I want to make. Right. And so out of the people that came to that show, one of the people that came was, was Cooper. Right. Um, I had met Cooper a few months before that because he had just been DMing me and he had been like, I had been living in <laughs> Hollywood with, with one of his friends from Colorado, uh, who was also a music producer. And because of that, he like found my music and he had just been DMing me for months. He was like, oh, I love your music. I love your music. Nothing about music NFTs. He was just like, I just think your shit is really dope, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't really go out too much um, or, or I didn't really at the time. And one of our mutual friends was playing. He just coerced me into coming out with him. And so when I threw the show, I was like, uh, I'm going to return the favor and invite him. And so after the show, I had, I had four people that really kind of came up to me to talk to me. I mean, I, I had friends come up and congratulate me, tell me they love it, but... The show was split up in two halves. It was like current music that was released and then like a bunch of the unreleased shit. Like I said, the goal was like getting this major deal. Four people came up to me after the show. Three of them were like made like major label A&Rs and one was Cooper, right? And the major labels A&Rs were kind of like, hey, you know, we love the music. We'd love to keep in touch, find a way to work together. And then Cooper basically yeah. told me the same thing. Like he was like, hey man, like if you're looking for like a way to put this music out, uh, you know, here's my number, you know? And so... Over the course of the next uh, month or so, I, I got what would end up being like my first soft offers for major labels, right? Which is exciting, right? Like I kind of got the validation of like, oh, okay, like a major label thinks I'm good enough, right? But 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 I started to look at like the the ins and outs of the deals, and they really weren't great at all. You know, I, I don't really I don't really want to say like what the exact numbers were, but they weren't like what you would like. They they weren't like a crazy they they weren't crazy amounts of money, or they weren't like. You know, it wasn't anything that was life changing and it wasn't anything that I think really solved the problems I had, which were like, oh, like I want to make whatever kind of music I want to make, you know. Um, and so after not really loving any of the deals, I kind of went back to Cooper. Right. And I was like, hey, man, like, I don't know what you have in mind here, um, but, uh, you know, I'm down to I'm down to like have a conversation with you because I, I genuinely had no context of, of what he was talking about. Right. And he was like, hey, man, you should you should drop an NFT. And I was like, my only like proxy uh, or like frame of reference for, for what an NFT was, was Beeple, right? I was like, Beeple, okay. Beeple, 
people sold a 69 million dollar 5000 day like artwork like I'm not a visual artist, bro. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't, I'm, I, I don't do any of that. Like, I, I don't even know how that works. I just make beats in my room. And he was like, no, man, like my friend Jeremy is starting this platform called Catalog. And on Catalog, you need um, a, a song, a WAV file and an artwork. And I was like, okay, like WAV file, I can definitely do. Uh, and artwork, I could probably figure out how to do. Um, but I don't want to give you any of this unreleased music. Like, I just want to kind of experiment and see what happens. And so... A few weeks later, I, uh, you know, I, I, I minted my first NFT on Catalog, and, and it was a very interesting workflow, right? So basically, I, I, I make music every day. It's a part of my life. Like, producers make 300 beats a year, 500 beats a year, and maybe 10 or 15 of them actually end up seeing the light of day if you're lucky, right? Uh, and um, I remember, like, at 9 a.m., I went to go make the beat. Um, at 1 p.m., I uh, got the film developed. So basically... I, I, I made the series called the Drifter series where I would go to a random place in my, in my Honda. I would bring a disposable camera, take pictures. That would be the cover art, right? And then that's like the cover art for the NFT. Um, mm -hmm. So at 9 a.m. I made the beat. Uh, I like literally plugged the aux into my, of the Honda into my laptop. 1 p.m. I got the film developed. And at 5 p.m. that day, I had sold my first NFT to a total stranger for um, one ETH. And that fundamentally flipped my entire world upside down. Just that moment, right? Because... I didn't have to have a viral TikTok moment. I didn't have to have like a very intricate marketing campaign. I just kind of made art, right? And and someone valued it at at fine art. Someone that I didn't know at all. It was it was blockchain Brett, but at the time, you know, I had no idea. I'd never met him before. He was just like kind of someone that gotcha. was scouring that he was scouring catalog and just came across the song, liked it enough to purchase it. And that that fundamentally just flipped my entire world. Right. Uh, I didn't have to. It's so interesting. I, I was able to make whatever kind of like I had that dilemma of I can make whatever music I wanted to make. Right. And and I didn't have to worry about making TikToks all day. I didn't. Ha it was just kind of like it was just like a transaction. Right. Like here's here's like the art that I made and here's someone like attaching some sort of value to it. Right. And that was something that I had in, in a world of, of the music industry. Like you're only your only metric for success a lot of the times outside of like industry cosigns are numbers, right? Like how many, how many streams does the song have? Like how many shows are you playing? Right. There are like plenty of artists out there who have 400 SoundCloud followers who are some of the best producers on the planet. Right. But they're never going to get any kind of like recognition uh, because that's just not how the game works, you know? So, yeah, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way the game works is you really need a lot of volume, like the music industry, from what I understand, um, basically the top artists, especially if they're touring and, and doing stuff like that, they make a lot of money. But if you're like a mid-level artist or like an underground artist, it's really, really hard to, to come by because you just don't, you know, you, like, as you said, the, the record deals are not that great. There's no real way to monetize, but like even in the, in the music that I listen to, you know, an artist might have like 5,000 really crazy fans. He might not, he or she might not be super well known. But if you, if you were to sell music NFTs to them, just like as you would sell vinyl, you know, but it's a much easier transaction to make, especially in this day and age, I feel. Um, there's a way in which you can generate enough income to equate for a lot of streams on Spotify, for example, right? Cause that's the, that's the, the equivalency that people make sometimes with music NFTs. Like, hey, this artist made so much from uh, this amount of money from a drop. This is equivalent to like, I don't know how many millions of streams on Spotify, which obviously is like really hard to, unless you're like super commercial, it's really hard to get to millions of streams on Spotify. Like, it's just not going to happen. 
Totally. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that $3,000 that I got for selling that first music NFT was equivalent to about a million streams on Spotify. Right. And that's like, that's it's not insane. like a, that's not like an easy feat. You know what I mean? Like, especially if you're like an independent artist, you have to rely on a lot of those viral moments and whatnot to try to get you there. And the interesting thing about having those kinds of viral moments is like, you think about artists who have had like the, the average touring career in music is five years, right? Uh, you think about artists that have had that have had long, extended, 20-plus-year music careers. A lot of those people have built their foundation from the ground up, right? Like, they have, they have went, essentially been door-to-door -door salesmen for their own music, right? Like, they have, they have done every single thing that they're supposed to do. Like, they, they play shows in front of 10 people, then they play shows in front of 15 people, and then they kind of build it up over time, right? Uh, yeah, it's very rare for someone to, like, explode overnight, right? Like, Martin Garrix, for example, or... Right, right. I mean, that, that's like obviously like, that comes to mind. Yeah, the, with animals and whatnot. But but what's what's funny and or what's interesting, at least about like the new kind of, you know, viral sensation is in a lot of ways, like it, it's kind of it, it's incredible because it, it, it is the speed of it is like unbelievable. Like people can can be a regular person one day and the next day if their TikTok blows up overnight, like all of a sudden a bunch of people know who they are, or at least know like a 10 second or seven second, like audio visual snippet to like their music. Right. But the very interesting thing is like a lot of those houses are houses that aren't built on any sort of like a strong foundation. Like there are a lot, a lot, a lot of them are just built on stilts. Right. And, and that's like kind of the difference between like a lot of the artists who have built things up over time and have done things like the long way. Right. Um, where I think if you look at my career, right, I think that doing music nfts has been like one vertical i think that that is like a very important building block to me building like this like very important like big like house of a career right and i think that um a lot of the these viral moments are kind of built on these 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 stilts because if you i don't know if you've seen like the steve lacy stuff on on tiktok or whatnot but basically like he had this um big song that blew up on tiktok and he got a he got a big tour because of it. and he's a really talented artist he's really really sick um, but he had this like viral moment of just the chorus of the song and he's going to his shows and he's being like, yo, like sing second verse. And then every, like, no one knows it, but they also, they all sing, I wish I knew like they, they sing the chorus, but no one knows a single word of the second verse. No one knows like the words to his other stuff. Like they just know. Cause that's that the only thing that went song. viral. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's this, it's this interesting world where it's creating opportunities, but, but I mean, I guess time will tell if it like creates longevity. Okay. So for the people who are not that aware, you're kind of like, you know, if we were to point to like a potential people of music NFTs that, that you're like in the running for it, like you're, you have like a ton of potential. You're probably the most well-known artist that wasn't, you know, cause like Snoop Dogg has dropped on sound, you know, like I, I can't say you're like the most well-known artist, but out of right. everyone else, you're, you're the guy, right? How, I, I'm curious. Before I go into, into other questions related to music NFTs, how did you find like the the crypto stuff? Because up until now, you told me about like the mentality and stuff, and like you dropped it. But like, how was it? Because for me, someone who's who's been in crypto since 2017, um, this like I I'm you know I'm, I I encounter all sorts of new stuff in crypto, but I just kind of take it as it is and I enjoy it. I enjoy learning. But there's a lot of people that I don't think us, like the people who have been in crypto since 2017, realized how many people came into crypto this cycle, like in 2021, 2022, 
Um, how was it for you? Like, how daunting was it? Tell me about the experience. Cause like you had to mint the song. Like, did you get help with that? How, like, how do you hold custody of the funds? You know, like getting like a hardware wallet, using MetaMask, using all this stuff, which is, it's not really user friendly for someone who is new to the industry, right? Like, how was that entire experience? You know, it's really interesting because it was kind of like a blur looking, looking back at it because of how quickly things happen. But I do remember it being, I was actually very, very hesitant at first because I was so used to uh, the way that my life operated and I didn't really like understand like what the, what the value add was. Like I said, when I sold the first music NFT, I was kind of incentivized to, to figure it the fuck out. Right. Because it was, it was something yeah. that I, that, that at least it, it turned some sort of a switch on, it, on for me that, that made me just like intrinsically very interested. Uh, and so for me, like the process became pretty easy, but I would say the the first few months are the hardest learning curve, um, in my opinion. Like, I remember one thing I didn't say in that story, which is like pretty important, is like after I sold that first music NFT, right? Um, I, I don't even. I think I just Googled or I got on YouTube to figure out how to set up my MetaMask. Like, it was, it was pretty straightforward. I, or, or Cooper came to my house. I don't even remember what it was because um, I know he came to my house like once or twice to help me set some stuff up. Um, I think he he got he like helped me get some FWB tokens so I can get into FWB and whatnot. Um, but, uh, I remember after I sold that first music NFT, like my, my initial, like my gut instinct was to be like, let me do that again. And so like a couple weeks later, I, I at least got that process down of like minting. Like, I'm like, okay, this is very straightforward. Like I have a MetaMask. That's like the hardest part. I need to sign this transaction. I need to sign some sort of a proxy transaction. Like, but that's, it's, it's not too, too crazy. Right. But then after I sold my next two or three music NFTs, by the end of the month, that first month I had sold five or six and I started thinking bigger. Like I was like, oh, bro, like I want to, I want to do crowdfund. Like, I, you know, like I want to, I want to, I want to do all this shit. And he was like, Cooper, who, who's, who's been, we have, we have like an interesting relationship. He's, he's definitely like a, like a friend and a brother, but he's also been like a project manager on like a lot of like my drops and like, you know, projects and whatnot. Um, Cooper was just like, no way. Like he was like, you're nowhere near ready like to do any of this shit. And so that entire summer, uh, a lot of people looked at me when I did like overstimulated and they're like, oh, this kid raised like a bunch of ETH in 24 hours. What people didn't see is that entire summer, man, like, you know, really for, for eight hours a day, 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day at times, like I was on Discord literally saying hello to people, which is like hilarious, but that's actually what I was doing is I was like, I would get into FWB, I'd get into Forefront, I would get into Seed Club. I would literally just say GM. I would ask the stupidest questions. Like I even got into like a, as, as a lot of people do early on, you get into a PFP community, you lose a little bit of money and that's kind of like the barrier to entry of at least like learning about it, right? But at least it kind of taught you like, wow, there are a lot of active users here, you know? And I, and I would go to, I would go to like Cooper's tweets and I would go to who likes them and then I would go to all of those people's bio. And if it, it said that some people would say like Ethereum since 2014, I would follow them. I would DM them and just be like, hey, like, do you have five minutes to talk to me? And like, realistically, one in 20 people would like get back to me and like say, yeah, like I'm down, you know. But to me, like I was I was I was always cool with being the stupidest person and like asking the stupidest questions and like listening way more than I was talking, you know. And so I think that that's for me how I how I got to at least like a point where music NFTs have been like a really big part of my income in my life for the past like year and a half or so. But I think it all stemmed from a place of like, look, I don't really rely on what the music industry has been for me so far. So I don't really have a choice. So I'm just going to teach, I'm, I'm going to treat this as like, like a, a subject in school, you know, like it's something that I just really want to learn about. And so I spent like a, a big part of my time getting acquainted, but 
to be honest, man, like, you know, a lot of, there are a lot of people you meet that they have like, um, like full-time jobs or whatever. And then you're like, Oh, like, what did you do in college? And then they're like totally unrelated. Right. And they, the reality is like, they learn those things by like just being in the, on the job for a year, being yeah. on the job for three years or five years. And it's the same thing with like web three for me is like when I, when, when I started just meeting people, like saying hello and just asking like very rudimental questions. Like the good thing about asking stupid questions is like, you really only have to ask it once, right? Like once I know, once I knew what a MetaMask was, like, I was like, okay, cool. Like I asked that stupid question once. Like I literally think I, I DM'd a Solidity developer on Ethereum and asked him what a MetaMask was. You know what I mean? Like, like I, like I, I you know, like I, I did, I, I, you know, and it's like, it, it was embarrassing to an extent, but it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, if, if you're, if you have the kind of the balls to like ask stupid shit, then like you'll, you'll learn faster, you know? And so Dude, I love that. It. I love the yeah. hustle. Like, like that's I all it. I did for, that's all I did for months. But to be honest, as soon as, as soon as you at least understand the workflow of, you know, minting and I mean, really it's basically just minting. Like as soon as you understand the workflow of like, okay, like I need to have a MetaMask. I need to upload this like wave file. I need to upload this cover art. I need to sign this transaction. I need to create a split. I need to create an auction. I need to do like, it's really those rudimentary things. And like that, that's really like the only knowledge base that once that starts working for you. And, and a lot of people in those early days were selling music NFTs like in March, April, May, 2021, because they were just like the, some of the, a lot of the early people that who are now you look at like Oshi, you look at myself, you look at Latasha, you look at a lot of like kind of those leading artists, like, because I, I think they had that success early on and they were just so incentivized to learn about it. But yeah, man, like it's, it's, yeah, you just have to make I, that I, initial I, first step. I understand the daunting nature because a lot of uh, you, you, I'm sure you can imagine like after everything happened for me, like, and I started getting a lot of press around it. Like I remember when I got time magazine, like at the end of last year, you know, a lot of every, all of a sudden, like everyone in my phone contacts, like was calling me and, and damning me and texting me and asking me like what an NFT was and how to get involved. And I, it all kind of rushed back to me how it was like this daunting process that I had done for, for six whole months. But I think that really the, 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 the extended answer to your question is I think it's really just like a, like a, just a lack of like knowledge and a lack of information. And I don't think that it's because it's, I don't think I'm a super genius. And, and I, I've always like made that point. Like I'm not like this super whiz kid who knows everything about like music NFTs. You know what I mean? I just have, I just have like some ideas and I have people who are smarter around me that help me execute them. But yeah, man, like, I, I don't know. I just, I just kind of dope. <laughs> I think the really, really cool part is you've done your time producing, like you're a really good producer because you've had this passion for music for like a long time, but then you didn't just jump into this new sector where you still sold your music and just expected things to come to you. Like you actually hustled yeah. to realize, okay, like what do the people in this world, which is like a completely different world than the one that I'm used to, what do they do? How do they act? What do I need to learn, et cetera? And you spent the time because one of my next questions is, or like the next few questions, but we kind of bundled them all together is like the kind of advice that you would give to artists who want to do the same thing in, in Web3. And, you know, they might be looking at you and say like, okay, yeah, cool. But like, you know, timing and all that, Daniel Allen was among the first, you know, like, how can I be successful? Like, he's already a big name, et cetera. But I bet that if they put in, like, they don't see, they would just think that you were first and that was a big advantage. And obviously it is, you know, like it's, it's important to be first in any kind of new industry or new vertical, but you also put in a lot of time hustling to understanding how this works. So... It's definitely possible, but it definitely requires a lot of work to to get there. So, 
Yeah, what would you tell new artists who want to get into Web3? I would say like the biggest piece of advice I can I can give is, is don't overthink it. Um, like I remember, look, when, when I when I did overstimulated, I had 200 Twitter followers, bro. I raised 50 ETH in 24 hours with 200 Twitter followers. Like the, the reality, the, the reality of, of Web3 is like you are paid and you are acknowledged with the time that you put into the culture rather than with any monetary amount of, 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 of dollars, right? Like you're, or, or without, without having, like, you don't have to have a hundred thousand followers to, to make money on like music NFTs. You just have to like be there often. Like you just have to like kind of keep, keep showing up and be willing to adapt. And I think that a lot of the, the big misconception that I have when, when a lot of new artists hit me up is like, oh man, like, you know, I have this, I have this, you know, amazing new like mechanism that I want to implement on like music NFTs. And I, and I, and I, I did it all on my own site and, and, you know, I, I want to just, just things that, that haven't happened yet. Like I want to, you know, add, I don't know, nothing. I don't even have anything like specific per se, but, but just like, I don't know, like burn mechanisms or whatever it is, just things that are like very new and, and innovative and whatnot. I'm like, yeah, that's great. Um, but just like, do you have, are you, do you have an account on sound? Like, do you have an account on catalog? Have you dropped a one of one? Like, have you, have you dropped editions of your stuff? Like that to me, to me, I would say a lot of artists will learn and have like their learning curve moments by doing those things. Like if you're thinking all this big picture stuff, but you, you don't have any like experience in dropping music NFTs or being involved with like the music NFT community or like getting, getting your feet wet, then you're going to like take a few tumbles. And, and, and I think that really my, my biggest piece of advice is, is don't overthink it and just start doing drops. Like, I think that, like you said a little bit earlier, like the music industry is kind of a volume driven industry. And I, and I think that because music NFTs are so early, it's, it's, it's even more important for it to be like a more volume driven industry, you know, and, and just kind of put music out, like start seeing how people react and like build relationships with, with people immediately, you know, like if, if, if you do a drop on sound and you do 25 editions and you actually have, you know, 20 to 25 people collect your stuff, like you should be talking to every single one of those people, you know, like you should be, yeah, you should, I agree. you should like, you should be, you should be building like brick by brick. You should be putting them in your guild, your, in your guilded uh, telegram chat. You should be, you know, just having these conversations or DMing them or wherever it lives. Right. But yeah, don't overthink any of it. Just, you can, you know, get on sound, get on, fucking zora if you want you could do you could do anything that you want to do just start you know like um literally it's, just it's, start it, yeah yeah it's the common um like people when they, they they want to do their first i was the same like when they want to do their first entrepreneur entrepreneurial thing uh it's always like oh i have an idea i have an idea i have an idea and you're always like overthinking the idea until you actually start doing things and then you realize wait actually it's better to do something fast and learn from your mistakes, try different things. Because I tried like a lot of things before I was successful. And funny enough, like the failures or the things that you learn from your first tries are when you look backwards and connect the dots, you realize, oh, I learned this from that experience, this other thing from the other experience, and they're all connecting now and they're enabling me to take advantage of this current situation. So yeah, I understand what you mean with that. And, 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 and on the second note, yeah, I mean, I, I collect music NFTs. It's not necessarily the genre of music that I like, everything that I've collected so far. Like there's been a few songs where I'm like, oh, I actually absolutely love this song. Um, but I still find it cool to talk to artists, even if I don't like it. There's something about talking to an artist 
um, that for someone who's just collecting is really cool, even if they're not the artist that you're absolutely dying to meet. Um, so it goes both ways, right? Like these people might think, these new artists might think like, oh, why would these people want to talk to me? But in reverse, like people always want to, they like to be approached by artists, et cetera. So it's kind of like a two-way street. And if they create those communities with fans, and especially now with the drops on sound being quite cheap, I would say, like they're not, they were crazy at the beginning of the year. Like you'd have to spend like a few hundred dollars because ETH was at a higher price point as well. But now they're like, you know, like you spend 30, $40, even $20 on sound drops from 25 people. If you get that initial Telegram group, then that's great. Like you get, you, you sell out your drops. You actually have, you're actually oversubscribed in a lot of these instances. So that's really cool. Um, what do you think about the current infrastructure with music NFTs? Um, do you think that anything needs to change for it to go mainstream? In my, like in my view, I would like to be able to consume the music NFTs or showcase them in some way where people look at your collection. And I know you can do that on sound, but it's not like, it's, it's not like I'm putting them on, on my Instagram and people are, all my friends um, see that. And I know, you know, maybe there's like a few bricks that have to be put in place for that to happen. Well, like what, have you ever thought about that? And what's your take on it? Like, where do we have to get to for this stuff to be easier for people to consume and more people to come into this space? So I have two, I have two answers for that. Um, one is the, one answer is the one that I've been thinking all along. And the other answer is one that's kind of come to me in the past month or so. So the more, the more traditional answer, uh, which I'm sure you can see coming is I think that there does have to be like a breakout artist. Um, and I think what that means is that's an artist that crosses the chasm between web two and web three. A lot of people say that you need a thousand true fans to make a living off your art. That means that the math is extremely simple. You need a thousand people that pay you a hundred dollars a year. You're making a hundred thousand dollars a year. You're making a living off your art. Those could be in the form of merch sales, ticket sales, whatever it is. What I think it, it, it has and will become, or at least it has become for me, is you need a thousand true fans and 30 to 50 Web3 super fans. And those 30 to Web3 super fans can create, they can give you the resources to be able to build a bigger career for yourself on both fronts. And then in a very ideal world, you're creating synergy between the two worlds. So like if you're an artist that's playing Lollapalooza and, and a lot of people start to really like the music and they're like, oh shit, like who is this artist? They do a deep dive and they're like, oh, like what is it? I can buy this person's NFT. And then you can, it, it all kind of, these two worlds can kind of live together. I think when an artist has a bigger platform, right? Um, so I think that's that's the number one, like more expected answer is like, I think that there does have to be a breakout artist. Um, I think the other half, and this is something that I realized in the past like month is none of this matters if kids don't think it's cool. Like, hmm. uh, uh, like a month ago, I gave, I gave a talk at Syracuse. I got asked to speak to the Bandier program, which is like the music. It's like one of the best music industry programs in the US. Uh, and, I, and I spoke there with David Greenstein, the founder of Sound. And um, we spoke on this panel and, you know, it was like to like 150 kids. And afterwards, there were like two types of kids that came up to me to ask me questions. One were like, dude, like, you, I, I understand music NFTs now. Like, I'm like, I'm way more excited. Like, you dumbed it down for me. You gave me an artist perspective. Like, I'm really curious to like learn about it. Like, I'm, I, I want to collect. Like, there was one kid in the class who had 22 sound music NFTs. You know, like, it's like, <laughs> you know, like there, there, there are kids who, who are like, okay, like you're like demystifying this for me. Like, it's not, it's not this like all just finance tech bros who are like making a bunch of money off of it. Like there's actually like a lot of things that, that really interest me about this. And then the other kind of demographic of kids were like, yo, I discovered your music through this. Like I really fuck with Gorgeous. I really fuck with Chasing Paradise. I really fuck with these songs of yours. And I, in that moment I was like, dude, 
you think about like most pop culture moments, you know, like most big artists, most big streetwear, most big things that matter like in, in culture, it's all started with like some sort of a wave of kids enjoying it and like thinking that it matters and thinking that it has like cultural impact. And so for me, I think that I don't know what that mechanism is. Like, I don't know if it's like doing a shit ton of free mints to get like people into the ecosystem. I don't know if it's like a discovery mechanism. Mm -hmm. Like I, I was I was with I was with Cooper the other day and he kind of said something similar to you. Like he was just like he was just like, dude, I think that we're missing one thing. He's like, we're missing like one sort of like, I don't know if it's a platform. I don't know if it's like a, like it, we're missing one sort of like a key player that's going to push it over the top. And, and, and I personally disagreed with him. I was like, dude, we have everything we need. We just don't have enough like young people in it that like think that this is dope. Like th that, that's how I've always, that's how I've really, how I'm really starting to feel about it is like, we have all of these amazing things that like live in this ecosystem. You know what I mean? Like we have basically private fan clubs. If you think about like gilded, gilded telegram chats we have proof of being like a fan early on by like collecting a music nft like you have like the huge marketplaces to be able to listen to like now more and more and more songs like these are all things in theory that if i were in high school or if i were in middle school like sound really dope but why don't kids know about it and to me like that's something that i really am like trying to figure out like i, I had this conversation with my agent i was like dude i want to like do college i, I wanted like a college run in the spring where i'm like giving a lecture in the evening and i'm playing a show in the in the at night you know what i mean because that's such a cool idea to me like because because kids kids like to like kids love having fun bro like and i and i want to be the dude that's like yo here's this dope shit here's why this is really cool here are all the really cool musicians here are all the really cool like artists like here's actual cool like cultural shit going on and then let's just party you know, and so for me, yeah, like the answer is two-sided. It's There has to be a big breakout artist, but I think a lot of that does come from kids thinking that it's a cool cultural thing. So the kids angle is really interesting. I didn't think about that. I'd like I, I never framed it in that way. It kind of makes sense. I think the, um, like the overall, you know, like with everything that's happening in crypto is just like Web3 is just perceived as this giant scam, et cetera. And then NFTs, this is a debate that has been going on for like a year and a half now, just how like even gamers perceive NFTs, right? Like they, they hate them. And then you see there's like a CSGO skin that's been listed for like six figures and prob someone's probably going to buy it. Or like there's been six figure sales in CSGO skins before. And you just step away from it and you think about it rationally. It's like, why wouldn't they like it? It's like a much better system. It's transparent. You get your money in your wallet straight away. You can do whatever you want with it. And it's the same for music. But I just, I, I think maybe still right now, um, that, that's, a, that's what makes it bullish. Like, I think it's super early because even the type of music right now, it's like very kind of focused in certain, like in LA and like certain regions in the US. It's not, hasn't really carried on to, to Europe and also like the process of minting and like getting a MetaMask and stuff. There's like a lot of like, it's, it's a high barrier to joining. And that's why I don't know if you saw like in one of our Telegram groups, I was writing about, um, so rare MBA, this like fantasy, uh, a fantasy sports site, like this French company that I really think nailed the combination between using crypto and making it super easy for people to join. Cause they just create an account. There's a wallet created for them, um, automatically. And it just feels like a web two experience. Uh, but you can always withdraw your NFTs or your money to your own wallet if you want to. And every transaction where you buy the cards, which are like individual NFTs, it happens on blockchain. So I think right. if, maybe if it gets to that kind of level of music NFTs where kids can just open an app, like if sound had an app, just like an Instagram, where you would mint these NFTs and you wouldn't have to like get a, 
a hardware wallet and all of that stuff, I think that would be like, it would make it really easy to mint this stuff and then like have the marketplace. But you know, like as Cooper said, like this, there's, there's a lot of stuff that has to come like wallet security and stuff like that. Just being able to do stuff from your phone without having to use a hardware wallet. Those things, I think they're like a few years away where it becomes like super convenient and safe to do it. Because right now, like I would, I would not mint NFTs off my phone. <laughs> or I would, right, right, them right. And I would like instantly I, I send them don't. to my hardware wallet. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Re- regarding the other thing, like you, so you, you're on the camp that there needs to be a breakthrough Web3 artist versus getting established artists into Web3. Yeah, I think I'm always going to feel that way because um, I don't think, look, I think everything is net positive. I don't think that like a, I don't think that like, it's like any PR is good PR, you know, like, I, I don't think that a big artist entering the space is necessarily a bad thing at all. Like it's, I'm sure that some of their fans will, will come in and, and embrace it. But I, but I do, I don't think that it's going to be like a big percentage of the fans. And, and, and for me, like, I'm always going to champion the story like my own and like a lot of my friends that have like actually been able to like make a living and like care a lot more. Um, because of like where they came from, like in their careers, you know, I think that like big artists coming in, like it might be like a cool little instant, you know, instant gratification, like bigger, like web three moment, but I don't think it's going to necessarily like be a long one because a lot of the artists who like make a great living off their art and, 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 you know, look at web three, don't really like understand the benefits of it because they're already in a system that's kind of benefited them and works really yeah. well for them, you know? And so like, they, yeah. they're not going to like embrace it with like as open arms, you know what I mean? Like, I think that it really, a lot of the magic that exists around web through music right now is like the group of friends, like a lot of them being my friends that are like all like coming up together. And it feels like this like early SoundCloud moment, you know? Um, and I think that, you know, if you look at the early SoundCloud moments, like there was like one artist that ended up getting a lot bigger from like that. And then all of his friends got a lot bigger and it was, it was like a whole thing. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely more in the camp of, of it, it, it'll be a smaller artist, but I don't think that a bigger artist coming in is a bad thing at all. Okay. That makes sense. Um, one of my last questions on music NFTs, uh, I have a lot of friends in crypto who, um, are not like music junkies or, or anything like that. Um, you know, they're into DeFi, they've maybe played with some NFTs, etc. And then uh, they see a lot of chatter about music NFTs. And the timing of music NFTs blowing up was kind of like towards the latter part of the bull market. So they didn't yeah. quite get um, the madness that was the summer of 2021 with NFTs. And one of their main points is like, oh, music NFTs make no sense, you know, at least with the um, like a PFP NFT, you know, you put it on Twitter, people see you have it, you can showcase it, et cetera. It's visual, people vibe with it because, you know, people understand visual stuff, et cetera. Music NFT is not like that because it's like, how do you consume it, et cetera. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking like, I've, like I, I, I barely played with PFP NFTs. I yes. don't, I'd like whenever, whenever I saw people like, oh, the artwork is so cool on this. Like having had uh, businesses in crypto, like with, a lot of like video animation, like we've done like a shit ton of video work and like graphic design and stuff for companies. And I've seen really talented designers do stuff. Like when I see Bored Apes or stuff or like any kind of like PFP NFT, maybe there's like a few generative ones that are really cool, but those ones are, I'm just like, okay, cool. Like that's, there's like nothing special about it. There's nothing special about the art. It's not like some this crazy artwork. And I look at music and like music is, 
like who doesn't like music even if like you hear a song on a radio but then there's people like us you know who have like really specific tastes in music we have artists that we follow etc so for me music nfts make a lot of sense they make so so much more sense than pfp nfts okay I kind of, I kind of gave the answer, like, tell me your perspective on it. And like, what would you tell these people? Because from where I'm standing is I, I mean, and it's great that they're not jumping in because I think it's like an under, it's like an undervalued segment, which will like blow up in a few years. That's my thesis anyway. But what would you tell them when it comes to like comparing music NFTs to PFP NFTs? I mean, did they listen to music? I'm guessing they are. I mean, maybe not I mean, hardcore you, listeners, but it doesn't matter though. Like music is consumed in a very unique way that's different to like any other kind of art form. Like people, people laugh to music, people dance to music, people cry to music. Like it, it's consumed in a way that is like entirely different from, from, from pictures, which is not like a, not necessarily a bad thing. But I think that the reality is, is like the music NFT collector and and the music consumer has historically always needed one more level of of kind of commitment or depth to like consuming the art right like you have to for example if if you're if you're going to a museum in like the the 1800s or whatever like you can or the, or the early 1900s you can just like pop in like look at a picture and then like walk away right or you have the option obviously to like to stand there for for 3 hours and dissect it and whatnot but but at at a very like base level you just have to like walk in, give it a look and you're out. Like with music, like, like in that era, like you have to sit through like hour and a half, two hour long, like symphony halls and whatnot. And so like, I think historically, like there's always been this degree of like dissecting and understanding and consuming that hasn't existed in any, existed in any other art form. And I think that for people who, you know, I think that's why like the spin amps of the world, I think is something that I'm really bullish on is it's creating a world where you can like passively be able to like consume the music and be able to listen to it and then like collect a little bit more on the spot. But I think that, yeah, it's it's just a, it's a very different type of art form that you have that just, I guess, involves right now, like one more degree of complexity to be interested in. Like, yeah, you can't like scroll through OpenSea and like hear a song, you know what I mean? But But you can say the same about like any degree of recorded music ever, you know what I mean? Like you, you always have to like, before you like, when, when vinyl was a thing, it's not like before like, Apple, the Apple store and iTunes was a thing. It's like where you could just click on something and listen to it for 30 seconds. Like you have to like enjoy a band before you even hear their unreleased album. Like you don't even have the option to like get a snippet of the album, like in the eighties and, and, and the seventies and the nineties and whatnot. Like you just, you have to trust that you think the artist is really dope and take a bet on them and then get the album. And it's like, I think it's just like a very different world. And I don't think there are very many parallels between like the PFP like world and like the music NFT world. Cause I just think they're vastly different arts. I agree. And I also think that if a music NFT artist were to be big in the mainstream, it's kind of like a connection to like something tangible in the mainstream that makes them kind of like a household name and that gives value to the music NFTs um, rather than the totally. PFPs, which can still hold value. Like I, I, I agree with the thesis on some PFP NFTs, but with music, like if, I don't know, if Let's take the because I mentioned him before. Let's take Martin Garrix as an example. If he were to do music NFTs before he released Animals, and then he just blows up with Animals, and he starts playing all the big festivals in the world, then his music NFTs are are going to have so much more value because yeah, then Animals becomes like infinitely valuable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. If it becomes like a hit piece, then yeah, for sure. Um, okay. My my last question for you. You've talked about wanting to have a hit song. Um, 
how do you envision that moment when it happens? Will it have a music NFT? And can I be part of the drop? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that um, I uh, the Web3 has opened the doors for me to work with a lot of artists that I uh, that I really respect and look up to musically. Um, and I think that there's this weird this disconnection right now where, you know, I was telling you off air, like where you're dropping songs on, on web three because the pace is so fast. And then a song comes out like way later. Like I did, I did glass house web three drop in July and the glass house web three, or I did the, and the, the glass house DSP drop happened in September, right? Like there's just kind of, because the, the paces are just very different. Right. And so DSP being like the streaming Spotify, platform. Apple. Yeah. Yeah. There's digital streaming platforms. Yeah. So like Apple music, Spotify, you know, all those things. Um, and so, I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, having a hit, having like timeless music is something that is very important to me. Like I, I've been able to like learn a lot as a producer. I've been able to work with artists I really respect and look up to in the past year that I've met because of Web3. So I guess I'll like announce it for the first time. I have an, I have an EP with Rio Cragen. That's just the two of us. Um, that's going to be coming out. Um, the Web3 drop is we're aiming for it to happen in December. Um, it's, it's an eight song, it's an eight song EP. It's like the biggest project, like musically that I've ever oh, nice. put out. Um, Rio is someone that I listened to in college when he did his project with Flume. Like I know all the words to, to all three of those songs. Flume is like one of my, the first artists I ever saw live. And so it's like kind of a full circle moment, like having, uh, having me and Rio do have like a project together. That's just the two of us. Um, I met him through Web3. I mean, I think, I think you know one of one of those songs feels like it might be it to me um oh you know nice. you know you know obviously only, only time will tell and i mean I, like i said i'm really thankful to be working on a lot of like really dope records right now um there's a lot of shit with kevin george that i feel really strongly about that i that i that i really enjoy so um yeah man i mean ha having it's definitely my aim because if if i am the guy that that people are looking at to be like the people of music NFTs or whatever, like it always has to start with the music and it has to start with the art and I have to make sure that I'm coming correct there. And so, you know, fortunately I've, I've throughout this past year and a half, that's always like been my priority. And, and it's, it's something that I've maintained as like the top of the to-do list. So um, yeah, man, I'm really excited. Like 2023 for me, I think feels like it's going to be like, you know, the biggest leap of my career. I think that 2022 and 21 obviously have been really big stepping stones in their own right. But, but to me like that, next year feels like it's 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 going to be like a really big stepping stone that's amazing man i really hope that happens so i mean you kind of dropped like a big news on on us here um and just to close like is there anything else that you're focusing on in the next few months and where what where should people check you out do they check out your upcoming sound drops or yeah totally totally yeah i mean obviously like my my public crypto town hall is uh is i'm daniel allen on twitter uh that's you know that's that's where everything lives for me um yeah my i'm doing um the the sound drop with rio is probably going to be at some point in december i'm not 100 percent sure we're like aiming for that there, there's a world where it might be january but i think we're going for december um so yeah that's coming up and and yeah just just staying really focused and locked in on that and then if you want to like understand the music and whatnot it's just daniel allen music on instagram Awesome, man. Thanks so much. This has been so fun. I really enjoyed having this conversation and hope we're going to have another another episode next year once you've like had a song with like 50 million listens. And we can yeah, talk of course, about it. Man. 
Of course. Thanks so much for having me, man. Again, to the listeners, I'm sorry I was a little sniffly. Uh, still getting over a cold here, but glad we can make this happen, man. It's all good, man. It's all good. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>